We're talking about relationships all throughout um, the month, and uh, I'm, I'm going to be at a loss for all the titles, but uh, I know next week is, is about, um, you know, our um, parenting issues and uh, being godly parents and how that works. Uh, we are also going to be talking about friendship, you know, friendship uh, and some of the things that are involved, you know, there, there's some assembly required when we are, uh, when we get friends, it's kind of like getting something from Ikea, you know, we, we got to put it together. And, and uh, so friendships require some assembly and we're going to talk about that, how to build stronger, better friendships. Uh, I've heard this a lot over the last uh, couple of years and so that we wanted to put a message in uh, our series on relationships that deals with this. I've heard people say to me, I want more friends. I don't have enough friends. I, you know, I used to have friends when I was younger and I, I don't have strong friendships now. We want to talk about that. And then we, uh, I think Vanessa is going to be talking to us about mentors and uh, putting together kind of an advisory board. Those, those mentorships and advisors that would be in our lives are going to help us out. And uh, actually, uh, Vanessa had a quotable thing when we were praying this morning that I'm going to use today. <laughs> and uh, so we're excited about the whole month of June, but then July is going to be on Proverbs and talking about those kind of things. It's going to be a fun month and there's going to be some great, great speakers. So don't miss a single service. If you have your Bibles with you and you want to follow along with us in your Bible or on your app, uh, app on your phone, your Bible app. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, a well-known, often read at uh, weddings and, uh, you know, talked about love, but do we really understand what it is? Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, beginning at verse 4. We're going to read verse 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Read this last line with me, will you? Love never fails. The biggest misconception that I brought into, um, you know, my marriage early on, and I think many of us do, many of us are guilty of this, uh, I, I brought this misconception to my marriage that I thought I was looking for the woman who was going to complete me. You complete me. I was looking for the right woman, I thought, that would fix the wrong with me. Whatever was wrong with me, this right woman was going to adjust and tinker with and fix. She was going to be my completeness and help me uh, to, to be what I had always wanted to be. And uh, so that was one of the big misconceptions that I brought into our marriage early on. I'm, I am really grateful that God gave me a soulmate and not a roommate. I spent uh, a year in college with two roommates that I, man, I was ready for them to leave. As soon as school was over, I was done with that. And many of you have had the experiences of having a roommate versus a soulmate. And there is a world of difference, right? In, in the two, the soul, a soulmate is so much better than a roommate. 
But here's what happens is the journey to find the right person when we are looking for the right person. And this can be applicable to, for many of you to even friendships and, and other relationships. But certainly in terms of those of us that are pursuing uh, to, to live our life with a person that is, that is um, we think, the right person. And that pursuit to find the right person always ends in disappointment. It can end in disappointment early. It can end in disappointment in the middle of the relationship. It can end in, in disappointment later in life. We've, we've seen and, and grieved over uh, parents who graduate their last child uh, from high school, the youngest. They graduate from high school, and then those parents go different directions. It's all over because they were in a pursuit to find the right person, and they were disappointed that this was not the right person. And the problem with looking for the right person is that it's an endless, uh, you know, we, be, we endlessly are looking for the right person, right? I mean, as, as soon as we are disappointed that the person we are with is not the right person, we start looking over at the next cubicle. Could that be the right person? Could this be the right person? Could the other person over there be the right person? Have I not met the right person yet? Is there a right person for me somewhere? I just need to keep vigilantly looking. Somebody who is going to be able to tinker with me, fix me, complete me, take care of all the wrong inside of me, take all of the things that I'm, I just, my baggage that I want to unload and just deal with it, put it in the closets and places that it belongs, get my life organized, get things together. It's a journey that always, always, always ends in disappointment because no, no person can be that for us. But the Bible teaches a much better way of living. And it teaches us to become the right person, not to pursue the right person. But the Bible teaches us that you and I are to be in stages of becoming the right person. That we're ever evolving and becoming and getting better and more and more like Jesus and less and less like us. And as we are in pursuit of that, uh, it, it brings about a whole new way of living together. We start becoming soulmates versus roommates. When you form a relationship with someone, uh, not only do you bring problems in, into uh, their life, they bring problems that they have into your life and you have these mutual problems going on. And rather than spending all of our energy looking for a person who we, uh, is the right person, we're encouraged in Scripture to take action in our lives, to become the right person, to allow God to deal with the baggage in our lives and the things that are going on, and to process our life with God and have Him rise up in us and help us become a better person day by day, moment by moment. The question we want to ask ourselves is this. Are we the person who we are looking for, is looking for. Did you get that? Are we the person who we are looking for, is looking for, right? Are we looking for somebody better than we're willing to become? Are we unrealistic and living in a fantasy in the sense of a pursuit of the perfect person and unwilling to make adjustments in our own life that we might become what God wants us to be. Becoming the right person begins with helping us understand, I think, what love is really all about. 
Now, the world has a, a, a really tattered and awful picture of what love is, right? And the English language helps us to understand how terrible and tattered, uh, you know, the, the understanding is for love, right? We say things like, I love chocolate. Really? As much as you love your kids? <laughs> as much as you love your wife? We say, you know, I love cats. I love dogs. You know, and, and we really have no concept of what love really is. People say in our society, here are two people who love each other. Why wouldn't you want those two people to be together? Forget the fact that each of them are married to someone else. Or forget the fact that they may be of uh, the same gender. Forget all of those things. Wouldn't you want them to be happy and together? But the Bible paints a different picture of, for us of what love is really all about. Sometimes love is saying, I can't be with you because God didn't design it for us to be together. I can't be with you because God gave me someone that I am to be with. And that's called sacrifice. And that aspect of sacrifice is something that the world doesn't really understand. The world thinks that if we are drawn together uh, and we are attracted to one another, we like each other's company, we enjoy being hanging out, then we need to be together and no one needs to push us apart. There needs to be nothing to separate us. There needs to be no sacrifice involved. You're fixing me, and I'm fixing you, and that's the way it should be. A roommate's version of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 would read like this. I am impatient and need you to fill my wants. I am jealous of others and think they have it better than me, so you better step up. You need to know how awesome I am. That's a fact. I'm not bragging, right? That would be a roommate's version of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. But it actually reads like this. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. Have you ever taken the love test before? Let's do it together on just this section of the verse, okay? Here's how we take the love test. Are you ready? Instead of the word love, we're going to use our own names. So it's going to sound like a conglomeration across this auditorium, right? <laughs> but we're going to read this verse using our own name. Are you ready? Ready and go. Alan is patient. Alan is kind. Alan does not envy. Alan does not boast. Alan is not pride. Wow. How did that fit? <laughs> the love test sinks us all, doesn't it? Because even it's, it's hard to get the words out, but putting our name there, you, we start to recognize things that are in our lives that should not be there because of love. Love should push and crowd those things out. Love doesn't want those things. And we're talking about a godly love. We're not talking about a kind of, wor uh, of love that the world may understand. I love the fact that the Greeks had uh, different words for love so that they helped define the difference between loving chocolate and loving your kids, right? 
So they used, uh, they used words like eros love. Eros love is sexual love. So someone could say, I sexually love you. Not appropriate in public, right? <laughs> so they might cloak it with another word that they used in Greek uh, was the word phileo. It's where we get the word uh, Philadelphia. Do you know what the theme for the, the, the city of Philadelphia is? The city of brotherly love. Phileo is a kind of brotherly love. I phileo you, my companion, my friend. You know, we served in the army together. We are good friends. We played on the same basketball team. I phileo you. I phileo you back. Right? But there was a word that they used in the Greek that was not connected to human ability. And it was the word agape love. Everyone say that with me. Agape love. And that was the love of God. God's love. It was a sacrificial love. It's the kind of love that cannot be manufactured humanly. It's the kind of love that we can't muster up and without a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, it's impossible for us to practice agape love because agape love comes from God into us and we channel it out to others. It doesn't come from us. We can't manufacture it. We can't make it. That's why it's hard to read. Alan is patient. Alan is kind. Because I cannot manufacture that. I can be patient and kind for a little season, <laughs> but get into rough Austin traffic and I may not be patient and kind, right? But with God's help, I can be patient and kind even in that kind of a circumstance and situation, right? Even where we want to jump up and slap somebody, <laughs> we can learn not to do that or not practice that with agape love, with God's love inside of us. I enjoy being around people who are committed to becoming the person that God wants them to be. I really enjoy being around those kind of people. Becoming is more attractive than fix me, right? And I really like to be around people who are becoming who are trying to be better, who are advancing in, in, in their walk with Christ and trying to become more and more Christ-like, instead of people that are just walking from one disaster to the next disaster and making poor decision after poor decision and requiring that the whole community rally around them to fix them periodically. I need some adjustments, some tinkering. Can you help out? Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, I don't know, I'm out of alignment. Can you, can you help me get back aligned, you know? And, and they are constantly in the sense of needing to be fixed. It's so much more fun to be around someone who is becoming more and more like Jesus. They are attractive to me. They are attractive to me when they are becoming what I want to, to model after them. I want to follow them and, and, and go where they're going because they are becoming and in the sense of becoming, it really draws us uh, to them. It's attractive. It's magnetic, right? People are, who are becoming also have a sense of, of humility about themselves and about others. And you can see that in this, this next passage. It says, it does not dishonor others. Love doesn't. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrong. What I found in, in my soulmate 
was a woman who so loved Jesus. And uh, I was talking with uh, Zach several months back, and he was talking about one of the professors. And uh, I've shared this, I think, with you before, but it's a beautiful picture, I think, of what we're looking in terms of a soulmate. And he said, what I was looking for, because he had a bunch of guys around him, many of them who were not married, and uh, in his class. And he said, guys, I just wanted to, what I was looking for in the woman that I wanted to marry was I was looking for someone who could not bear for the name of Jesus to be shamed, who could not bear for culture to disrespect the name of Jesus. What was he saying? He's saying, I was looking for a woman who was becoming more and more like Jesus. And she was so passionate about her walk and relationship with Jesus that it was top priority, it was top peer. That's the woman I wanted to marry. There's a lot of women that were going to church and they were seemingly doing the right things, but I want the one who's becoming more like Jesus. I want the one who is pursuing Jesus with all of their heart, all of their mind, and all of their strength. That was the woman I was looking for, and that was the woman I found in my wife. And I, I did too, you know, even though I had misconceptions about uh, what marriage was going to be about when we first came in, I knew deep in my heart that I was looking for somebody who loved Jesus. I had dated a, a lot of women who had Jesus at different levels. No level at all, uh, mid-level, almost to the top, three quarters. But when I met Michelle, Jesus was number one. He was a top priority for her. She was uh, becoming more and more like Jesus every day. She was uh, a worshiper, a person who wanted to spend time in the presence of God, who loved God with all her heart. And that was attracting me. That was drawing me to her because that was who I loved too and wanted to be more like. People who are becoming have this sense of, of humility about themselves and about others. When they look at themselves, they look at the world, they're able, they're able to kind of uh, take things in and have this, this understanding about themselves because the Bible becomes kind of for them a mirror that they are looking into. And so before they are correcting their spouse, they're often letting Jesus correct them, which is biblical. The Bible says, before you go and try to get the splinter out of your neighbor's eye, you should go ahead and pull the log out of yours first. <laughs> Before you go correct somebody else, maybe it would be a good thing for you to look at yourself first because what will happen is that you will have a little humility about your approach. And you're not going to be coming to them as like, I know I'm right. You need to listen to me. You'll be coming to them saying, God's been dealing with my heart about some things I want to share with you. And out of that, I hope that we can get closer to each other and closer to him. A sense of humility. They are humbled by God's mercy, by God's forgiveness in their own lives. There's no sense of like, I deserve this. I love that one of the last uh, the songs that we sang, one of the last phrases. It says that you don't need my breath. Wasn't it something like that? You don't need my breath to, to, um, you know, to bring you glory. But if somehow the breath that you gave me can give you glory, it's yours. It belongs to you. I just love that idea, that, that understanding 
That, and that's, that's, what, that's what soulmates really understand is that they are humbled by the mercy and the forgiveness of God. It makes it difficult for me to lash out at you and, and try to correct you and try to make you a better person because every time that I would attempt to do that, I get a good look at me and I realize that what needs to happen is I need to become a better person. I need to be a better husband. I need to be a better father. People who are becoming rejoice in truth even when that truth will force painful changes in their own life. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Real love moves us, God's love moves us in the sense of embracing truth, even when that truth is very, very painful for our own lives. When we read things like that, we, we did the love test, love is patient, and we say, you know, Alan is patient, I'm not very patient. It, but I want to embrace that truth, God, and I want you to do something about it. And so then God will put you in line at Disneyland for two hours for, no. <laughs> we want God to, to address in us first, to, to work in us. And finally, that last phrase there, love never fails. It brings us to a place of understanding that we have a choice. You can be a roommate or you can be a soulmate, and the choice is love. It's God's love. The choice is to become the right person, not to find the right person. The choice is to God, I surrender to you. I want to become all that you've called me to be. And out of that, I'll probably be a little more attractive. Not necessarily the outward physical part. I am what I am, you know, and I've kind of wrecked it a little bit, God, here, overeating and stuff. But as I become more in pursuit of you, there is an attractiveness about that that's going to draw people to me. Friendships to me. Maybe my soulmate, someone that you've prepared for my life. Becoming the right person involves Listening intently. It involves love that is sacrificial. We live humbly with one another. We stop insisting on our rights and we start accepting our responsibilities. The kind of love that 1 Corinthians 13 talks about is, is an impossible love to accomplish without God. But with God, we can Becoming the right person is the work of God through our own surrendered lives by His Holy Spirit. You cannot do it on your own. You need God's help. On our own, the best we can be is a roommate. With God's help, we can become a soulmate, embracing emotional health for our lives, humility, and self-sacrifice. You walk around at times, you want to just tell people, have you looked in the mirror you know, uh, they, they wonder why there's, there's few friendships in their life. And they're chasing people out of their life with emotional unhealthiness. If you spend, you know, 20 minutes with them, they're going to have seven crises, you know. And, and so, you know, you, you like them, but you like them from a distance. You're just like, you know, <laughs> we, I, would, I would really like to be your best friend. But you're in pursuit of crisis and difficulty and challenges. And I, I just, man, I have enough of them in my own life. I need to be in pursuit of God, letting him fix me and work on me and make me what I need, what he wants me to become. Becoming the right person is what God wants us to do.
It is a kind of love that is not self-seeking or easily angered. It's a kind of love that keeps no record of wrong. It's a kind of love that rejoices in truth, always protects, always trusts, and always hopes. We have a choice when it comes to sharing our life. We can become a roommate or we can become a soulmate. We can spend our lives looking for the right person or we can spend our lives trying to become the right person. We can live a life that lays blame, justifies when we make mistakes and fail and fail to live up to the character that God wants us to. I lied, everybody lies. Justifying. Yeah, yeah, you know, I didn't get that done, but you didn't get your part done either. Laying blame, right? Or we can do what God wants us to do in this kind of love, and that is take responsibility. Father, it's not my brother, it's not my sister, but it's me. Me. I did it all on my own. Michelle was saying a moment ago, I put those nails in your hands. I put that crown of thorns on your head. It was me. An encouraging thing for us to understand as is, is people who are becoming is that we are always under construction. There's a lot of forgiveness when you're, you're under construction. You ever been into a place where they hang up signs and say under construction, you know? A little frustrating, you know? But you're like, well, it's under construction. They're fixing it, you know? That's the good news, right? It's gonna, it, when it's done, it's gonna really be nice, you know? We've got these signs hanging on us when we're living for Jesus under construction. Somebody goes, ah, it's a little annoying, but you know, you're fixing it. It's going to be better. <laughs> and you're going to be a better husband. You're going to be a better wife. You're going to be a better friend. That's awesome. I'm glad you're working on it with Jesus. We're always under construction. I'm going to ask Elizabeth to come first, if she would, on uh, keyboard. I want to share a closing story with you, and then the worship team can come uh, following that. I, um, many of you know that you know, I've had the privilege of kind of being around um, Pastor Jack Hayford in uh, my mentoring part of ministry early years and had some moments where uh, it was smaller groups, giant in the faith, uh, author of, uh, I don't know, he's, I think it's... Uh, upwards of 60 or 70 books now. What I think is one of the last great living theologians of our time for Pentecost, certainly. And um, I was uh, struck by a story of something that happened. He's growing older and recently his wife of well over 50 years passed away, Anna. And uh, had a chance to meet Anna on several different occasions. In fact, I was in their home a couple of times. Uh, because of circumstances that uh, around mentoring and teaching and kinds of, of things like that. And Anna was just the perfect pastor's wife. I mean, she, she was so loving and so kind. But one of my uh, favorite memories, I have a picture with, with Jack and Anna in my office. And, and uh, I'm, uh, you know, they were lined up. People were lined up to take their picture with him. And this had been going on. He would stay there all day. He would just collapse and stay there and let people take pictures and stuff. But Anna realized they had a life and, you know, she was always kind of trying to get him away and let's go. We have to do this next and something. taking care of her husband. She was just beautiful, beautiful soulmate. And uh, so I was one of the last ones and I'm almost feeling guilty, you know, because I knew Anna was kind of pulling on him and trying to get him off. 
And uh, so I'm standing there, we get the, get the picture, and she goes ahead and puts on this beautiful smile. But I, had, I know the moment just before when she was like, we gotta go, let's get him, you know, <laughs> trying to get him out of there. She was a beautiful picture of what a soulmate is. And uh, I, I recall a story that, that happened uh, over at uh, Gateway in, in uh, uh, Dallas, Texas. Pastor Robert Morris has, uh, he's loved Pastor Jack Hayford lifelong and has really brought him in in these latter years and uh, brought in, uh, started, you know, the King's uh, University uh, version there. It originally started in Van Nuys and so they have a, a campus now uh, at Gateway. And so his, one of his practices with Pastor Jack Hayford, because he, he brought him in, loved on him over these last uh, 20 years or so, and has had him on his board because Pastor Hayford had retired from ministry. So he's had him on his board as a, as a high executive where he would ask for counsel and stuff for the church, very large church in Dallas, get his wisdom and understanding and stuff. So he would regularly call him on a weekly basis. And, and so as was the habit, he called Pastor Jack Hayford and, and it was toward the evening. So uh, he asked him, he said, is it okay? You know, um, am, I, am I getting you at a bad time? Is this all right? And he goes, oh, yes, he said, this is, this is a fine time. He said, I just went in and said goodnight to Anna. And he said, I, I gave her the traditional three kisses. And uh, so <laughs> Robert Morris talked about how they, he began to go through the agenda, the things he wanted to talk to him about. But all along in the back of his mind, he's thinking, the traditional three kisses? What, what, is, you know, what great spiritual significance from this spiritual giant is there to those three kisses is one kiss for the father one kiss for the son one kiss for the holy spirit is it is it like there's three uh you know two or three witnesses in in the room it was a one kiss for you know two kisses three kisses you know the, the presence of the lord is there and what what kind of spiritual he said i couldn't hardly like think about the agenda for thinking about what is this so finally he says at last i just said pastor he said can you just tell me what is the significance of Three kiss. Why do you kiss your wife three times? And he said, because it's fun. <laughs> he talked about watching Anna transfer from this life into the next life. He shared recently on, on a video what that was like and talked about, you know, um, coming through that grief aspect and recognizing that he's here till God says ready to go home. I thought what a great love story it is. And that's, that's what happens when you have a soulmate, you know? Kissed her three times because it's fun. <laughs> because we have traveled life together in a way that nobody really understands. All the things that we've gone through together, but we have grown closer and closer to Jesus and therefore closer and closer to one another. Can't imagine ever being without my soulmate. And we kind of have tried to bargain with God, you know, because we argued over who has to go first or whatever, you know. And, and so we thought, well, we'll just see if God will just do it kind of like Enoch and just maybe take us both or something, you know, leave our clothes behind and we can just kind of Whatever God has in store, what a ride this has been. What a joy it has been to have a soulmate versus a roommate. I want that for you. I want that for you so much. 
It has been such a joy. Yes, we've had some struggles. Yes, we've had some difficult times. Yes, we've had some challenges. And the rest of the worship team can come up now if you'd like. But as we have grown closer and closer to the Lord, we've also been able to take ownership for the things that we brought into this thing that are unworthy of the relationship with one another or with God and help each other heal those things over. Pray for one another to become more like Jesus. I am so grateful for my helpmeet, for my soulmate, for the person that God brought into my life to partner with me to become more and more like Jesus. But saying all of that and bringing it down to resolution, it, it just, you know, a, a brief summary with you, and we're going to stand and sing together in a moment. It is about becoming, about becoming. And that's where it begins for all of us. And I don't know, all over this room, you're in different places. Some of you are married, been married for a while. Some of you newly married, some of you single. Uh, you anticipate finding in the future. This is a morning when uh, our youth are here, and I love that because they're gonna be looking for a soulmate. You don't want a roommate. They're gonna be looking for a soulmate. And, you know, it, it, just focus on you first. Say, Jesus, work on me. I want to become who you want me to be. I want to be the best person I can possibly be. And you're going to bring me someone who's going to be a soulmate for life. And we're going to ride together in the journey of life. And it's going to be unbelievable, this journey together. But first, work on me. So would you stand with me and let's invite the Lord through this song to work on us.